slowly in the process, considering that the Texans just hired their new general manager, Nick Casario, and they don't even have a head coach yet. Deshaun Watson has not returned calls from the organization. What we also know is that he's very unhappy with the way the organization has proceeded this offseason. And because of the no trade clause in his contract, the Texans have very little control. Well, let's see who the Texans hire as their general manager. Let's see if they're able to repair any of the damage that's been done. And let's see how this situation unfolds. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your favourite soap opera straight from the Great British Isles as we'll try and make some sense of another tumultuous week in Texas history. Despite the new GM, national media scrutiny aplenty, a fan protest, and I don't even think that quite covers it all. So trying to look back in the last week, if you haven't already checked out last week's discussion with Brandon Scott from Radio 610, that's a two-part episode where we talked about everything post the Casario hire and all the issues faced. Wanted this week just try and quickly cover some of the issues that have subsequently come out since we recorded that last week. But I think what we need to remember, we're in an environment or a landscape which is filled with leaks. You've got Corn Ferry, the agency who are at the heart of this issue, and if you know if we hadn't of even heard of them, then I, I think that probably takes some of our issues away. But you've got Corn Ferry, who we paid six hundred thousand dollars to, their noses out of joint because we went off piste of the process. We didn't take their recommendations, and Cal went a different direction. We've been into that last week, but you've got them upset. You've got ESPN, where that's with their colleague Lewis Riddick being part of the process and it's deemed to be wasting their time and there's an axe to grind there but Dan Orlovsky, Adam Schefter cannot stop piling on in probably a two week period but the news really hasn't changed a great deal but the the rumours of Deshaun potential trade continue to swirl so we'll wait and see where that goes and we've got some thoughts on that before we come out of here but you've got the Deshaun camp as well which continue to add more fuel to the fire and you've also got employees or ex-employees or current employees who have been scorned and are willing to talk and you know you add all those four spheres of information coming together everybody has got a source at the minute or knows a source and it continues to not go away and a distraction at a time where we're trying to hire a head coach. Firstly, on Casario, from the limited work of bod- or body of work that he's he's created since he's been here, I think firstly, it's great to see an adult in the room and maybe have some faith or a guy to trust in because we haven't had that since the day Brian Gain fired. So a guy at the top of the pyramid in this building that hopefully will make some decisions that won't negate your chances of being successful. and Hopefully the opposite of that. Now, he didn't go down the Brian Dable route. He didn't interview Gerard Mayo. He didn't interview Josh McDaniels. Predictable ex-Patriot moves. The latter two have been requested interview by the Philadelphia Eagles. So he hasn't taken that route. So potentially that's, you know, there may be other reasons for that, previous relationships, etc. Um, but perhaps he understood the situation. Now, I don't think... For a second, Casario understood where he was coming from and what the situation was going to be like. And he's worked for another building 
another franchise for the longest time, 20 years, and it was always going to be a culture shock. But I think he's probably had a far bigger fright than probably he could ever have anticipated this week. They did interview Brandon Staley, who's now agreed to be the next head coach of the LA Chargers, um, who seemed like an ideal candidate in the way he spoke. When I tweeted out a clip of that with Peter King, he felt like he was a very much of a a, a structured game plan defence, the opposite of Bill O'Brien, but felt like he's got an ability to coach that type of Vic Fangio unit. Now he goes to the Chargers, great depths of talent on that roster, and it's hard to not see him do well. He was definitely a candidate for the Eagles as well. So one guy that got away. And credit to Casario again for getting Matt Eberflus to come back to the table in an interview after he'd previously declined. And he did seem to be the front runner at one point, but his star certainly has faded slightly in terms of the mix where we think this coaching search might go. Obviously, Arthur Smith's gone was my preferred candidate and felt like he had a, a real opportunity with us to add value and, and steer the team the right way. Uh, but he's gone to Atlanta. It looked like that was set up right from the word go. And But Eric Bieniemy did an interview Monday. That announcement came out immediately after uh, we recorded last week. The League of Tweaked adjusted the rules to allow the Texans to do that. I think probably with the recognition that we were only one of the few teams left to do that. And I think in the world of Zoom, they were able to conduct that on Monday, how that went, where that will lead us to. I don't know. Certainly the fans favourite, a guy that's been consistently overlooked again. And if he wants to be a head coach, it looks like his only option certainly doesn't seem to be in favour in the in the Philadelphia hire. It looks like his main option would be the Houston Texans. So it's kind of a, a situation where he maybe needs Houston, and I think Houston might need him in some ways, and we'll, we'll come on to that. But I think when you reflect of all this process and all the issues have gone wrong and all the media noise, it all comes back to one man, and that is Cal McNair. And I think you know the players openly challenge the culture, the, the program in itself, the people that were running the program and that needed to change. And I think every step that Cal takes looks like a misstep. When he spoke to McLean on Friday and it was released in the Chronicle, it just, because I'm sick of talking about it, I'm sick of hearing about the guy. We shouldn't know his name, but we do. And I don't think he's necessarily the biggest issue. He certainly feels like he should be the issue, but it would seem his message is he's here to stay, as predictable as that was. But I think what the the sort of overarching issue with Cal McNair is he just simply doesn't understand the situation. The fact that he was willing to take blame and said he would potentially apologise if needs be in terms of communication, mistrust, etc. just showed again that this guy is not fit to run a pro football organisation at an elite level of sport. And I don't blame Cal for that. He was born into this not a self-made man like his father was. And I know he's probably trying, but he just can't stop but get help himself from getting it wrong. And I think the longer you watch this team and you know whatever crazy things might happen this off-season that may make you question your allegiance to the Houston Texans, I think you just have to get on board. Potentially, you might have to get on board with East Derby, but then you also probably have to get on board that the owner is a fucking idiot. And... That's probably not going to change 
he's a rich one, but he's still an idiot. So as time goes by, you know, I think all the all the issues have all been self-made. And I think, you know, when you talked about the players doing the, you know, challenging the culture, I keep coming back to the question of, is the damage already done? And we're only seeing, you know, the, the embers from the fire. The fire was raging all along and there was clear messages laid out, clear points that the players and, and guys wanted to, to make sure changed. But I think that it may be too late has been my sort of thought over the last few days. And look, it's, it's, an, it's an age where everyone's stuck at home in the vast majority of geographies and you're searching on Twitter to hope, try and find the latest bit of information. And it's pretty mentally challenging, I think. And I think the, the, the challenge for Watson, I think is the, is he in a position to confidently stay with this organization? and not have serious, genuine concerns about organisational failure right to its very core that's going to inhibit him being as successful as he deems he can be with his talents. And the vast majority of guys will ever watch him play couldn't help but agree. And, you know, and after the, after the press conference with Nick Casario and pushed Casario to a side, I just, I text a friend, shared a conversation with him that I just said that I just feel based on the ownership, we are set for abject failure. And that was the, that was my sentiment watching that press conference and that was what I took out after watching the people who you should be most confident about the team when you listen to them speak. But that's not the, the, the image or portrayal that the ownership goes over. And I think, and just after we recorded last week with Brandon Scott, the, the, the Andre Johnson tweet comes out, or Andre Johnson's tweet, so I keep getting that wrong, came out and he said, you know, and everybody latched on the Easterby point. And that's true. And I think, you know, removing him, there's no doubt that would help because he doesn't bring anything in. And the fact that we know his name is it shows you everything that's wrong with that situation. But the key point that I took out of it, it was the Houston Texans is known for a team that wastes people's talents. And I think that's the issue here. And, and I saw Lance Erlein's report come out today about he's spoken to people in the Watson camp and actually it's not about Easterby it's more the concern is with Cal and you know and that may just be the the extreme ask from the Watson's camp about it's the owner that needs to go or the de facto CEO needs to go and maybe his mother needs to have a word with him and he's here and tell him that you're just not cut out for this son because you're making a mess of it and he continues to make a mess of it. And I don't know if they have that self-awareness as billionaires. I would suspect not. You know, I, th I think it goes back to if anybody's remembers the story at the time of Prince Andrew and all the allegations about hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein and he gave one of the worst interviews anybody's ever seen on television and the reports where he went back to the Queen, and said it went well when it wasn't. And I think that's the level of delusion that you need to probably take as a lens when you think about Cal McNair because he is obviously delusional in many senses. But the fundamental parts of this organisation, because of those delusions, lead us to this point. You've got an owner who's easily swayed. He let a process that he defined and said he would stand by go off the rails and he couldn't undertake basic communication because whatever Deshaun's thought, his input to the process was, 
that wasn't the reality that came about. And look, I don't think your quarterback necessarily needs to have input into the GM. And it makes me think that they've used that as a catalyst for all this smoke and there's other stuff at play. And I think it was the culture you'll change and you the culture is effectively a repeated set of actions carried out with individuals. And that takes a long time to change. It takes a lot of big watershed mark, you know, marks to change that. And I think if you're looking at Deshaun and, you know, and if he's looking at this and as he's saying confidently, can I stay here in my career and not be wasted? Because these guys aren't stupid. They know that there's some terrible contracts on this team. Whitney Merciless, Eric Murray, and I include Zach Cunningham in that. I include Laramie Tunsil in that. A contract so ridiculous that the next highest paid tackle got paid less because it was so extreme because it had been negotiated by somebody who's not capable of negotiating contracts. You had a guy in Chris Olsen that was capable of doing that, but he was canned out the building again under Cal's watch. So it's been a culmination of 18 months to two years now of bad, bad choices and how and the, they have now led to chronic organisational failings. That it's a position that, you know, guys aren't stupid. Watt knows that and Deshaun knows that. It's going to take this team a number of years to get back to a position where they're competitive. And Watt definitely has the time and I don't think Watson is willing to waste it. And that, I think, is probably the bigger thing here. I don't think it's about money, but it comes back to contracts and how poorly this organisation has been run because he was given a no trade clause. He has to sign off or anything. So if he's to force that situation, then the Texans value by definition, their market will be shrunk. Not all 32 teams will be on their okay list and they won't be able to trade them. Now look, at any point, I've never thought that they would trade Deshaun, I think you'd be better letting him sit for every single week of the season, accrue the fines until you got four first round picks over you know three year period max, I don't think you could accept any less than that, plus players plus everything, I never thought he would get traded, but when you think of it from his point of view and you think of how inept this owner is of this football team, would it give you confidence? Because I don't think you can be confident a fan out of beyond anything more than blind loyalty. It's tough to see this organisation being successful. Now, of course there's a way out of this. Of course it's only January and you'd be foolish to trade um, anywhere even just before the draft would be the earliest point you'd maybe consider it because it's the natural trading period in the calendar. I don't think it needs to get to that. But definitely it feels like the GM process just was the straw that broke the camel's back of a longer term concern by Deshaun and his camp that this organisation isn't run by the right people. And it might be the case of, they say, look, Cal, you either step back and I play here or I go. And if Cal knew what's good for him and what he's good at is doing nothing. So if he could step back and bring in a CEO to replace him in that role, because I don't know what value he carries for this day-to-day rather than just being the chairman and overall over, an overseer of his money. And, and hopefully Casario can potentially work away in a position to give Deshaun faith that he will not be involved in anything and it will be Nick that will make those decisions. And if it is enemy that comes in as a head coach or it's Leslie Fraser or whoever it is, if, if either of those guys can come with Nick Casario, get Deshaun around the table and say, look, here's our vision. We think we can do this quicker than it may seem possible from the outside. Give us the next two years 
and we'll prove to you we can get back to, to where this team needs to be considering the level of talent you have but I but the, but again I come back to the culture I think the culture has to be adjusted and that takes time and will Deshaun give them that time and will he try and force their hand and we've seen when people try and force this organization's hand they often win whether it's money or trades under the under their value as we said this was a chance for a clean slate it certainly doesn't feel like it we're still in the midst of a mire it would feel like even though the head coach isn't hired yet and any head coach in their interview must have reservations about this job and it's no surprise we're one of the last two of the seven openings to be filled but there's a lot to be done in the next couple of weeks hopefully we'll be back quickly to talk about a head coach and hire it certainly was deemed to be going to happen this weekend so why just a short podcast hopefully we can hire and move on and take a step forward because this team has not got enough talent to have a, a off season of counter productivity it just can't cope with it we've just not got enough talent and resources both on and off the field to sustain that and hopefully there isn't a, a situation on the horizon that would probably make us all consider our allegiances as something and I include myself in that over a you know over a decade of investing time and and faith in this organization that Monday you might win things and I think that's that's my overall reflection I was I was speaking to somebody about this the other day that and the Ryan Mallet, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Fitzpatrick, all those days, even the Brock Osweiler, it felt like as if the team was, was trying to win it. It with you know, with, with the greatest respect and most of the, the things that were within its control going in the right way, making decisions that felt like, you know, that they were at least going forward and they weren't going backwards. But when you have a period of two years where you go backwards under a new de facto owner. You've missed that missing piece for the entirety of your franchise. It feels like trading them would be an implo. It would be the nuclear button. It would be a complete implosion of Houston pro football. And I don't think that's something that anybody wants to entertain as a notion. But we might have to. The coming days will will tell us that definitively in the coming months. But thanks again for listening. Hopefully we'll be back with a new head coach announcement and a discussion on that in the coming days and weeks. Well, you can check us out at podcasttexans.com, at podcasttexans on Twitter and on Facebook. 